we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. How are you doing today, Willow? I just realized that there's an unnerving amount of rectangular-shaped objects in this room, and <laughs> I am distracted by it. You're distracted by rectangles now. Yeah, I actually... We're at this point. <laughs> if you okay. want my honest answer, that's it. Other, other than that, I'm good. Uh, I mean, that... Now that you mention it, this room is filled Full. to the brim with rectangles. It is. Yeah. Well, that's going to put me in a weird, weird headspace too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah. Already been in a weird head, headspace. Uh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. This the is another topic. one of those series. Yes. It's a good one. Oh boy. I've had a lot of fun with this too. Good. Been more fun than I expected, which is going to be cool. Now, if you have any interest at all in the spooky, you've probably heard about the CIA's remote viewing program, you know, with like scare quotes like the cia's remote viewing program yeah, right declassified documents. yeah the documents and you may have also heard like oh yeah they looked into it but it didn't pan out because it's dumb and that my friends and this time i say this with the deepest sincerity that's what they want you to think uh-oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we're going there yeah so in reality america's remote viewing program was operational and operationally deployed for over 20 years from 1972 until 1995. And despite the program being colloquially referred to as the, in quote, CIA's remote viewing program, it bounced around between various intelligence agencies, Army Intelligence, INSCOM, CIA, and our old friends, SAIC. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They're back from Camellio. They are back, yeah. Yeah. And it bounced around enough that in a real sense, it was its own entity, but... I think the CIA was probably most, had the most pull, mm-hmm. had the most sway. Yo, what if those weren't invisible spies in Camellio, but they oh. were remote, view, like they were oh, shit. people doing remote viewing experiments showing up in his room. Oh, and shit. And he could like see the shimmery outline of them. Oh, that oh gee, that would track with some of the, the stuff Damn. in the book I've been reading. That's okay. interesting. That's an idea. Mm-hmm. Shit. Uh, okay. Now you might be getting a little paranoid already, but <laughs> far from some deep underground, like high tech room full of stone faced psychopaths in black suits and dark sunglasses, like the remote viewing program was made up of weirdos, like straight up strange motherfuckers, artists, seekers, thinkers, Mormon heavy metal aficionados, uh, UFO obsessed spooks, and more than one messianic complex. Wow. A bunch of like real people. Only one or two of whom were psychopaths. I feel like David Wilcock is all of those things at once. Yeah. But he's a gremlin. Yeah. <laughs> now, to read much of what's you know available on the surface about the remote viewing project, it, uh, known at different times as Project Stargate, Gondola Wish, Grill Flame, and Project Sunstreak. Project Charbroiled. That was probably one of them, dude. <laughs> Grill Flame? <laughs> Grill Flame. Wow. Like that came out of Gondola Project Wish. Flame Broiled Burgers. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Army Intelligence, because Army Intelligence was Grill Flame and Gondola Wish. Uh-huh. I feel like the CIA is so much 
more confident in their ability to name things. Like they don't project Stargate. You might figure it out. Mm-hmm. We don't really give a shit. Like yeah. you're going to figure out the whole thing. Like, yeah, we'll call something fun that refers to it. Like mm-hmm. you might get it. Like we got, we got to call something. No one will ever guess that grill flame is right. Ingo Swan sitting in a chair looking at you. Uh huh. Ain't no midnight climax here. That one was, that <laughs> that was, was named yeah, yeah. very obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they don't care. They don't. <laughs> You're like, they're fucking insane. <laughs> they're fucking with you. The CIA is is fun. Yeah. I, like I I love being in this world. Mm-hmm. And not like, oh, they're out they're out to get me, but like when you're hanging out with the CIA and they're doing some weird shit. Yeah. Oh man, it's just it's such a vibe. <laughs> it is. Like, Our universe is pretty fun. Yeah. The extended Earth universe, AU. And yeah. I it sounds like a it's a fun job to have. Yeah. If all you know is what's on the surface, you'd be forgiven for thinking that it was an ill-advised money pit that never never accomplished anything except making the U.S. look like fools. I'd forgive you. That's kind of what it seems like. Mm-hmm. on the Or like maybe it's CIA disinformation, right? So the main book I used for this series is called Remote Viewers by Jim Schnabel. It is a long and thoroughly researched account from primary sources with footnotes and even a damn bibliography of the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Like... It's great, even though it could have been trimmed a bit. It is filled to the brim of 400 solid pages of case study after case study about this through Whoa. interviews that Jim Schnabel yes. conducted. Schnabel. Schnabel. Since you said it, I've, I needed to say it out yeah, loud. Like, it's fun. Schnabel, Schnabel, Schnabel. Okay. You, it I, doesn't I, seem like you're going to be able to do it right, but it's, it comes out pretty easy. I think I have it out of my system now. Yeah, nice. I don't. Schnabel, Schnabel. <laughs> Mr. Schnabel. You know, this dude conducted interviews with a lot of these guys, and uh, it came out in 1997. And I, I was thinking that if I was reading this in 1997, I would have gone bullshit. You know, like this is all complete horseshit. But like since then, a lot of this stuff has been declassified. Like the documents for Project Stargate and Grill Flame and all that are on the CIA's website. Yeah, and that was like 2004, I think that that came online, something like that. It was definitely after 1997. Yes. And so, like, I've read, I've already read a lot of those, like, documents and shit. So I already knew about a lot of the stuff that Schnabel was writing about, right? So, like, it confirmed a lot of this. So I was like, okay, this dude is accurately talking about a lot of shit that then gets confirmed by declassified shit. So it's like, okay, like, I think I can trust you, you know? And some of the crazier shit, too. But, like, this book is just case study after case study in which America's psychic spies performed the impossible, like, detailing Soviet bases describing Chinese military technology not supposed to be released yet, seeing through fucking time, uh, breaking a KGB agent in South Af- in a South African prison, all the way from Fort Meade, Maryland, through a telepathic guilt trip about how he was supposed to take his son fishing, and a shitstorm of high strangeness that's up there with the craziest shit I have ever read about. God. It's nuts, dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like I said, this shit ran from 1972 to 1995. It allegedly shut down after that, like, if there's anything to this, and it seems like there is, there's no way it's not still going on. Like, it's just yeah. fucking way. That's you my think, own speculation. they just stopped? I mean, there's an argument to be made that, like, perhaps technology is actually better for the job than psychic shit is. Mm-hmm. You know? You can't really beat a satellite camera that can see in fucking 18 million pixels. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think human experimentation on unwilling participants is still happening, though. That's actually an interesting thing. Like, there, the program almost got shut down once because after the MK Ultra report got released, and they CIA actually had to 
have some controls on yeah. human experimentation. Right. But this does happen like concurrently and then, or not concurrently, this happens on, right at the ass end of MK Ultra. Like they're mm-hmm. just coming down off that. Like Sydney Gottlieb's still at the CIA, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So the, they are. The year that they list as MK Ultra being like officially shut down is 73. Oh, so this is right on the tail end. So yeah, it's yeah. literally just started right after that ended. Yeah. So. Or even. Oh, yeah. It, it, it overlaps. Yeah. Yeah. So keep keep that in mind, because even though we've been talking about Project Monarch and stuff, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> MKUltra is real. Going from that. To yeah. This. Yeah. But then you, you also could think like, well, fuck, what if Mark Phillips, because he was a DOD contractor, what if he what if they didn't like him because he's a piece of shit and they were experimenting on him? I don't know. They're fine with pieces of shit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. Kathy's full of shit. Kathy's full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Let it be known. Kathy is full of shit. (laughs) She's definitely fucking full of shit, dude. Yeah. Fuck that bitch. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Ask not what you can do, what your country can do for you. What can you do for your country? It's good. Anyway, in part one, and this is going to be probably three parts, I think. Yeah. I think there's three errors. It's a solid, this is a solid three actor. Yeah. In part one, we're going to look at how it all got started. Uh, the Stanford Research Institute with physicists Hal Putoff and Russell Targ, psychics Ingo Swan and Pat Price, and another one of those fellers who shows up anytime you're talking about government involvement in the spooky, uh, a CIA agent by the name of Dr. Kit Green, who I have looked into apart from this book. And my God, that dude is spooky as fuck. Mm. Yeah. He's deeply involved with like Jacques Vallée and like he's rumored to be part of the aviary, that group of birdmen that control the UFOs. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, this dude was the head of the CIA's like weird desk. Okay. For a fucking long time. Head head of the weirdo department. Yeah, like anything that was paranormal or, or weird, like this dude was the guy who was, Oh, okay. you know, overseeing that. So he's like Mulder. Or like Mulder's boss. Yeah. Yeah. He he's kind of like David Lynch in Twin Peaks. Okay. It's act. That's actually. It means nothing to you, but it means something to some of our audience. It means something. It means to nothing me. to you. You haven't seen season three when he's like the the main character, which is yeah. hilarious. Wow. <laughs> um, I know. I really got to get on that. Instead, I've been watching fucking Riverdale, which is like the kindergarten version. Jesus, of Twin Peaks. I don't. We can't get. We into- can't, I can't get into it because that pisses me the fuck off. <laughs> So there's going to be a lot of names and jargon throughout this series. Cool. More so on the back two, back two episodes. But I'll try to emphasize who you should really pay attention to. Uh, but this is just a thing you run into when dealing with government stuff. A lot of moving parts, names, jargon, all this shit. So like, if you're confused, me too. And I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, but before you get into it, let's do a terrible. All right. Got to think about fucking Russell Targ's weird hair. All right. What do we got? What do we got? Interesting. Four of discs. All right. Sun and Capricorn. Power. Okay. I can I can see four of discs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about that. Kind of boring, but that's right. So, going back in time. I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees. The world to sing, sing with 
Now, that song is from 1972, which is, I was looking for the it, top 100 from 1972. It really creeped me out. I'm not going to lie. I think that song, yeah. like it, it made me feel weird because it brought me back to my childhood. Mm. I remember singing that song at this church daycare that yeah. I used to go to. And I just like completely... You know, that that memory was erased until just now. Oh, shit. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, you know, like, but you did. I, but I did. But you did. You just brought back a memory. <laughs> didn't you? So interest in the spooky psychic phenomenon stuff, it comes and goes in waves. You know, it, in the late 1800s, spiritualism and all this stuff, as we talked about. And then kind of during the 1920s and Money's flowing all good. It kind of wanes. In the 30s, it comes back up when everything sucks. And then, yeah. yeah. By the time the Second World War ended and America's economy was rip-roaring and every jackass had a two-car garage, a white picket fence, an unsatisfied wife, and a drinking problem, interest in the spooky was waning. Yep. Material concerns, you know. It picked up again in the 1960s. And isn't it interesting that people tend to turn towards the non-physical in times of material crisis and societal trauma? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen it time and time again on our time show with the yeah. IM activity, um, with the Oneida community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In the 1960s, saw the 360 no scope of the prettiest Catholic who ever sat in the Oval Office, the Vietnam War, the assassination of Martin Luther King, LSD, hippies, nuclear standoffs, Richard fucking Nixon, just to name a few. Yeah. Yeah. You think the time period we're, we're in now is fucked? Boy, howdy. This is, this nightmare era is boring. The 60s were off the chain. Yeah. The older I, like, you know, you're like a teenager, like, oh, I wish I was born in the 60s. You get a little older, you're like, oh, no, fuck that. I hate hippies. And then you, like, get even older and like, oh, that shit was dark as fuck. Yeah. I want to go back to the See, 60s. Now <laughs> we just, we found a way to commodify the mm. spooky. Like, now we just have fucking yes. Demi Lovato singing to the spirit of a dead prostitute on, on an NBC television show. What? Like, Okay, I guess that's what we're doing now. Uh, that sounds like too long of a story to get into, but I'm... She's, yeah. What What you doing? She's doing it with Stephen Greer. Oh, right. What the fuck? All right. Never, no. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing her whole mainstream alien ghost thing. Uh, fuck all that. Well, the 70s were pretty bleak, too. Yeah. <laughs> Hal Putoff was a laser physicist and lecturer at Stanford University. At 33 years old, he had already written an influential, an influential textbook, Fundamentals of Quantum Electronics. So, you know, we're dealing with a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was known as creative, energetic, and a brilliant young mind. Like, I'm 32, and like, what you're listening, this is, this is the absolute best I got. <laughs> Guess what, people? This is what you must understand. There are excellent benefits in eating poop. That's where I am right now. Yeah. If, yeah. if you want to learn about quantum stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Go read to the other guy. Read a put-off book. Yeah. Uh, you know, after, because of this stuff and a lot of this studies that were really flawed that came out of it, no one really takes him seriously anymore. Just kind of sad. Yeah. He's kind of known falsely, I think, as um, not the best. But Hal Putoff had a reputation as hardworking and detail-oriented, as well as being almost eerily mild-mannered. Ooh. Yeah. Like, that's how he was just like, he was unflappable. He was just Ooh. always really friendly and shit. I feel like when someone's unflappable, it's because they've seen the worst of the worst. I think you're going to learn why later. Okay. There's a, there's, there's a sentence. I wonder if you'll catch it all. Yeah. All right. But like, you know, but he seemed really like a really nice dude. Like before he went to college, he was living on the beach playing steel guitar in like a Hawaiian Happy band. Happy Yeah. 
Yeah, he's just he liked he was an engineer, but like he was really interested in the weird shit, psychic stuff and, you know, spiritual stuff That's and all cool. this stuff. Yeah. And in 1969, Halpadoff left the Stanford Engineering Department and joined the nearby Stanford Research Institute. Separate institution, not on the university books, but is still Stanford Research, but because the Stan- SRI, the Stanford Research Institute, was second only to the Rand Corporation in terms of prestigious think tanks used for classified research by the government. Uh-huh. Right? Putoff was brought in to do work with lasers, but as soon as he got there, he got in his noggin to try some psi research which is smart fuck for psychic or parapsychology, mm-hmm. you know. Psi, P-S-I. P-S-I, yeah. That's how all the scientists refer to it mm-hmm. as they think they're being cool. Psi. Psi. He was wondering if psi, could, psi research could shed some light on the weirder aspects of quantum theory, you know. It's fucking, oh so, yeah. It's a decent uh, path of thought to go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and I can see at this point, like, he's just curious about it. Dude in his 30s just like, ah, I wonder. I mean, I've had SRI a bit, though. I bet I, I, bet I yeah, can do fuck this. It. Fuck it. Let me do this shit. So, yeah, he could have no idea what was about to happen. So he goes looking for funding, and Hal is put in touch with a dude named Bill Church, a, uh, a Texas fried chicken magnate. Fuck yeah. <laughs> who gave him 10 grand. I, you know, that's exactly who you want to fund your psychic research. I don't know if he's actually a magnate. I know he was a, a found, one of the founders of a chain of fried chicken joints in texas but i just that's wanted to, to qualify as a magnate that's a fried chicken magnate yeah for sure and if we have any fried chicken magnates in the audience i promise you you give me 10 grand i'll do something fucking weird with it yeah yeah <laughs> like that's a, <laughs> that is a promise <laughs> so after getting that greasy chicken money uh help it off get a letter from an artist and self-proclaimed psychic named ingo swan fucking hell of a name who had been doing parapsychological research at the city college of new york and the American Society for Psychical Research. So he's already been involved in psychic research. He considers himself a very good psychic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he just hears that Hal Putoff is doing psychic doing some stuff. And he's like, I got to get in there. because Yeah, research me, buddy. That's a very good Ingo Swan voice. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Thank a, you. Dead on. Uh, Ingo Swan claimed some incredible f- feats that he could alter the temperature of a graphite rod at distance. Um, he could astral project and describe physical objects like hidden in a laboratory. Hal was skeptical. As I'm skeptical you- too. <sighs> Prove me wrong, Ingo. Ingo's an interesting character. Uh, I have some se- theories about Ingo. So Hal was skeptical, but he decided to fly Ingo out to see what a real psychic looked like in action. And on June 6th, 1972, two days after flying Swan out to California, Ing- Hal put off brought Ingo Swan to Stanford University to try out his psychic powers on an incredibly complex and delicate experimental machine. Seems a bit cavalier. Yeah. Else part. Yeah. <laughs> what if right. he brings it? We'll, we'll put you to the fucking test then. Yeah. So the machine is called a magnetometer, and it's designed to measure the magnetic fluctuation caused by sub, subatomic particles called quarks. Prove some crazy quantum sub-subatomic particle bullshit, right? Are you sure it's not pronounced magnetometer? I'm not sure. Okay. Magnetometer. <laughs> <laughs> a nice juicy tomato. <laughs> a mega tomato. <laughs> uh, so to protect the machine from environmental noise, the magnetometer. 
Magnetomator. <laughs> the magnetomator was housed in its own protective sanctum with like layers of metal shielding and a liquid cooled superconductor buried in a concrete like basement. I'm literally just imagining a giant tomato. Like, yeah, but then like take the tomato, replace the tomato ness with like all sorts of like fucking wires circuits. and copper yeah. and like, yeah, and then like buried in concrete. Mm-hmm. Crazy shit. Dingo was supposed to try fucking with it with his mind. This weird machine. All right. <laughs> he had never seen anything like it. So like first he tried to clairvoyantly see inside the machine to be like, what am I even like? Because this is like buried. He doesn't know what he's what dealing even is with this? at all. Yeah. When he reviewed it, when he directed his attention to it in trance, the output of the magnetometer, magnetometer, I can't fucking say it right anymore. Thank you. A magnet machine. Sudden, the output suddenly changed. So it was doing one thing. It's like, oh, this is what's going on here. Ingo starts looking at it. It does something different, right? Except for Hal Putoff and Ingo Swan, the other scientists who were there thought it was coincidence. Yet when Ingo left the lab, the baseline values returned to what they were, you know? So this was enough for Hal to think that he had something. Yeah. Right? Like, I should at least keep looking more at this. Right. Right. All right. Let's keep this Ingo feller around. Or... Whatever, but like, okay, at least I have a bit of data right now. Yeah. I went from having no data to some data. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something. Uh, so Hal wrote a short dry paper about the incident. And within weeks, the government was knocking at his door. Ooh. Yeah. Like they were aware of it very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was at SRI though. Like, of course they were. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, it's a government contractor, you know? And the government was so interested because this is one case in which like, the Soviets actually did have a head start, yeah. like on Psy research, and the intel community was aware of it. And it wasn't like disinfo either, or maybe it was, who knows? But it really seems like they were very, very interested in Psy research. Yeah. And were better at it than we were. And so at this point, the government had decided that they should throw a little bit of money at it and see what was what, right? And Hal Putoff was a respected mainstream scientist. And after publishing this paper, he seemed to be a perfect fit. He's already at SRI, you know, you can trust him. He's got clearance. So in October of 1972, Ingo Swan was flown back to California and Putoff told him that he decided that clairvoyant intelligence gathering was more valuable than psychokinesis, moving stuff with your, with yeah. your mind, right? So they began doing experiments with that, having Swan describe objects hidden inside a box, you know. And one day, two government men showed up with their own object for Ingo Swan to describe. They're like, we're going to do this. Make sure you're not doing any funny business, Hal. You know, no one can fuck with this. So they watched, they put their object in the box and they watched as Swan described the contents of the box. He said, I see something small, brown, and irregular. Oh my God. (laughs) Is this a litter box? No. Get your head head out of the litter box. I just, I saw those three lines. I knew if I stopped there. <laughs> that, so, yeah. I knew exactly what you did. You think I'm going to pass up the opportunity to make a poop No, joke? I don't. I know that's, you're not. We, we already, that's the second one this episode. <laughs> Got to shoehorn it in somehow. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> See something small, brown, and irregular. Sort of like a leaf or something that resembles it, except it seems very much alive. Mm. Weird. The object was, in fact, a large brown moth, very much alive. The two men were from the CIA, and they handed Hal Putoff $50,000 to fund eight months of research. That's a cool story. 
who can kill a general in his bed. Overthrow dictators if they're red. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who can buy a government so cheap? Dozens send them out to kill their untrained cousins. Fucking amen. CIA man. CIA. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking CIA man. <sighs> These guys, man. Okay. Oh, before I forget. I just realized in this driving over that this is a tip, pro gamer tip. Okay. For all our, for all our listeners, our, for you, for all our listeners. Girls and boys. All our gamer girls and boys. If you're in the spooky game, you got to know this tip. All right. Anybody who says they're from the CIA is lying to you. Yeah. They say CIA, not, not the CIA. So they would say two men came over from CIA. Anyone who puts a the in front of CIA they're lying. Doesn't actually work for the CIA. Just interesting tidbit. I don't I don't get it. Do you think that guy I met at the bar who told me that he oversees nuclear missiles was lying or not? Oh, probably think, probably not. Yeah, you think he was just like drunk and loose-lipped? I don't I mean I don't think that's something you really I think you can say that you're part like that you look after some missiles. Yeah. Yeah. He was weird about it. Then he showed me a picture of his wife in a Scooby-Doo costume. She was hot. Anyway. It doesn't give me a lot of faith in our national security. <laughs> oh, he was like, I'll keep you safe. Don't worry. You don't have nothing to worry about with me protecting you. I'm fucking terrified. Yeah. Excellent. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> he probably just like, he's probably a fucking janitor. <laughs> yeah, he considers right. making sure the floors aren't slippery. Looking after him, which to be fair, you don't want someone slipping and hitting the big red button. Who knows? These are the, the people protecting us. All right. So now the Central Intelligence Agency is involved in all this. And the uh, the psychic here is Ingo Swan. And Ingo Douglas Swan was a difficult person, to say the least. Yeah. Do you I'm, know much about I'm him? I'm curious to know more. Okay. So, like, he's he's complicated. Like, I don't want to, like, he's com- he's a difficult person. He's complicated. Yeah. He did a I lot wanna of I want to look up a picture of him real quick so I can yeah, yeah. envision him in my mind. I did already look up a picture of Russell Tarr. Yeah. There's this picture of him with his cat. He's got this little smile on his face. He's like this little elf of a man. He's like seven feet tall. Holy shit. Dude's huge. Why does he give off tiny person energy? He does. He's, he gives off dwarf energy. <coughs> we haven't introduced Russell Targ yet, but yeah. Um, he's also like legally blind and has been, always has been. Ah. His glasses are so thick. Like, it's crazy. Wow, Ingo Swan. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Ingo was charming, affable, fiercely committed to psi research. His paintings, though. Yeah. His paintings are awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ingo Swan's a really impressive human being. Yeah. For sure. Uh, he was also deeply wounded with the complexes that go along with that. Yeah. Right. Swan was as close to the stereotypical image of the psychic as you were ever going to find working with the CIA. 
Mm. He was an artist, left-handed, sensitive, artistic, easily bored by the mundane. He had experienced various psychic phenomena his whole life, out-of-body experiences, premonitions, encounters with various supernatural beings, the like. He was also gay. And for most of the 20th century, all those things together, man, you got bullied and had the shit kicked out of you, like, your whole life. Yes. Yeah. And... That'll give you a complex. It'll give you a fucking complex. It'll give you a chip on your shoulder. Yeah. Right? And this is... Here's Ingo... Um, I forget what he's describing, but it's the only, like, good clip I could find of his voice then, just to mm-hmm. give you a fuller picture of who's going to be working with CIA. Representing yeah. psychics. Yeah. Ingo Swan claims to have used this astral body to travel to distant planets. He tells us how it feels to travel in this energy body. As I've grown older and become more reflective on life, I've often recovered many of the thoughts about existence I had as a child. A major one of these was the separation of consciousness from the body, which was very real when I was a child. You forget about these things as you grow up because they're not part of our cultural impact that we're supposed to think about. But this kind of thing happens in art all the time. Okay. Okay. When he begins his work at SRI, he's 39 and he showed up in a white denim jacket and a broad white cowboy hat to match. He's the psychic gay cowboy coming to work for the CIA. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. I know, I know. And his name's Ingo Swan. Yeah, Ingo Douglas Swan. First name is actually Ingo. Great name. It is. I yeah. really like it. it. When the work at SRI began, it very quickly didn't live up to Ingo's expectations. Mainly, his psychic powers didn't seem to be working. He was just trying to convince everyone there to to let him suck their dick. <laughs> and it wasn't yeah. working. Yeah. Well, like all the shit that he could do just wasn't fucking happening. Yeah. And then he was having serious disagreements with the newly hired Russell Targ. Damn. A freakishly tall, legally blind laser physicist, brother-in-law of chess master Bobby Fischer, and an absolute caricature of an emotionless scientist. Yeah. Like... He does talk like Henry Kissinger if he removed the villain from Henry Kissinger. Mm-hmm. It's the same like kind of monotone scientist voice. Right? It's funny because when you look up a picture of him, he looks like this warm hearted, like tiny he dwarf of a man. Yeah, he's a good yeah. dude. He's just like the monotone. absolute polar opposite of Ingo Swan. Yeah. Yeah. It's like serious minded, scientific. Very. And a blind laser scientist, which is just funny to me. It, yeah. He could kind of legally blind. He could see he just had glasses that were like an inch thick. Yeah. But it's, yeah, he's going to be doing remote viewing research. Just shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need eyes to see. <laughs> we're going, you don't need eyes. You can see with your heart. He never did any of his own experiments, I don't think. Mm. Like he was only just like the data guy, you know? Yeah. Russell Targ brought with him to SRI a machine he had designed, a primitive computer that would light up different pictures. So it was like a screen with different pictures, and the psychic was supposed to predict which one would light up. The more Targ pressured Swan to use the machine, the more Ingo Swan hated Russell Targ. He thought the whole thing was just stupid for a lot of different reasons, like conceptually as an experiment, as like preloading or like... Like how uh, you truly um, randomize something like that. That was also a big problem. There was, you know, I don't know if his criticisms are legitimate or if he just wanted to have criticisms 
Right. Right. Because it wasn't his method, but, and also because his powers weren't working. I bet if they were working. I feel like without hooking that sort of um, experiment up to like a quantum randomness generator, how else can you account for the fact that there might be an algorithm attached to which picture lights up? I mean, I, so, I'm sure that Russell Targ would have uh, thought of that. One thing that but, is going to be a through line throughout all this is that there are, from a purely scientific standpoint, a purely science research standpoint, every one of these experiments is flawed. I mean, that's the nature of what we're working with, right? right? And and that's a big thing because this is magic. What we're talking about is yeah. magic. And the only thing that matters in magic, how you pre- does it work? Is it useful? Mm-hmm. That's is like it's the usefulness question that is the only way you can judge this stuff because it just I mean, there has been some really good research published on parapsychology. There really has, but there there is necessarily holes you can poke in all of the experiments. Right. But it's the success aspect that I think needs to be judged with it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm not a scientist. I'm just a guy. <laughs> just a guy. <laughs> we've already established I'm no scientist. We, we've already established where we make poop jokes. Mm-hmm. So no matter what experiments they tried, Ingo's psychic abilities failed. They tried the magnetometer trick again <laughs> magnetometer they tried the magnetometer trick again nope uh guessing whether a radioactive laser was lit up nope nothing so ingo knew that the cia's ultimate goal was psychic spying but he knew there was a huge problem with how cia was thinking of it uh, if someone told him to spy on say an airfield near moscow Swan knew that his imagination would be overwhelmed with his own preconceived notions of what he was supposed to be looking at. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me to look at an airfield, like, I'm going to conjure an airfield, right? Right. Yeah. So the answer came to Ingo, as the best answers often do, while Ingo Swan was lounging in a pool drinking scotch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he heard a voice say to him, try coordinates. Aww. Put off and target thought this was dumb as hell. Just coordinates from the map for all sorts of reasons. Same type of shit as Ingo having a problem with Russell Targ's method. They were like, no, this is totally not scientifically valid. And like one big problem I didn't see anyone bring up, but like I could have seen was like, what if Ingo can just memorize coordinates yeah. or like just memorize latitude, longitude, and then get reasonably okay at eyeballing, you know, right. dead reckoning what a coordinate is. I'm not, I'm not sure. I have an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, put off and Targ thought this was dumb. And then Ingo Swan threw a fucking tantrum and threatened <laughs> to leave if they didn't do it his oh way. God. I think it's like, it's a better idea than what they were doing before. It's yeah. odd, but it's better than before. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, Ingo throwing a tantrum would be a, and threatening to leave would be a common theme. Just throwing his cowboy hat on the ground and stomping on it. Yeah. It's like, that only hurts you, Ingo. You're going to have to get a new hat now. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he's a tantrum. He's yeah. He's a tantrum guy. <laughs> um, anyway, the first run of tests were fucking miserable. Uh, on one occasion, Ingo got it wrong and said he heard heard the coordinates wrong. Like, he got the picture wrong. And he's like, oh, I thought you said this. But had the coordinates he heard been the target, he would have been even more wrong. Yeah. Yeah. One day, Russell Dark brought a phone in the room with him because he was just like, this whole fucking thing is pointless. And I'm not going to be away from the damn phone when I have go look at something actually important yeah so Ingo <laughs> walks in the room and he saw this phone that was just like a uh, jim schnabel describes it as like a an acoustic pipe bomb ready to you know destroy Ingo's 
trance at yeah. the moment's notice Ingo fucking he rips the phone out of the wall and just throws it down the hallway Ingo yeah. Ingo no yeah. bad Ingo bad Ingo <laughs> <laughs> uh, but by the second week Ingo seemed to be improving right? when given the coordinates 41.5 north 122 west which described a place just east of Mount Shasta Ingo wrote that he could definitely see a mountain to the southwest also to the east must be a big valley. Hal gave the coordinates, and then uh, Hal gave Swan the coordinates to south, 34 east, which Hal Padoff thought described Lake Victoria in Africa. Swan wrote, sense of speeding over water, landing on land, lake to the west, high elevation. It seemed like a near miss, so he thought it was over Lake Victoria, and then Swan was describing something that was close to Lake Victoria. Uh Swan insisted he was right, and he told them to go buy a proper atlas. (laughs) right they obliged and turned out he had been right their atlas was wrong oh yeah now throughout this section i was thinking yeah this dude's just studying atlases in his free time yeah that's right kind of my immediate first thought but also like you know so later examples can't be explained by that i kind of think he was yeah i think that was his way of keeping the project going like he knew he could figure it out the coordinates thing the coordinates thing was I can if I just do a trick, like I can keep it going. I can keep it going until I figure it out because I know I've had these experiences my whole life. I know I've dreamed the future. I know I've interacted with these beings. I know I, you know, yeah. Like magicians are tricksters. They yeah. do this shit all the time. Mm-hmm. It's so it, common. It doesn't make their uh, right psychic powers any less valid. It definitely does not. I love psychic powers. Psychic powers. Yeah, are there abilities maybe what's like fuck the fuck it in 1972 there's psychic powers yeah like <laughs> this is ingo swan the psychic from new york yeah yeah but you know maybe not i don't i don't know and like i said later examples definitely cannot be explained by that and there's also no way that every person you bring in is going to by chance just be able to memorize coordinates or have that type right. of thing what i want to know is like why didn't they fucking fire him after he threw the phone and be like, buddy, he's that's char- enough. He was charming. Yeah. And he was also good. Like when it, I mean, Hal saw us crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And who else are they going to get? Like they just got this money from the CIA. Yeah. CIA saw him describe the, the moth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure they were probably close to like, this isn't happening over that long of a time period. Like I'm sure Russell Tart was fucking ready to So like, ready to go. are there other psychics that are also getting recruited for these experiments? Right now, no. Okay. Um, right now it's just Ingo. There will be... Uh, I wonder what the recruiting methods for that are like. So it varies depending yeah, on what phase. Just go to the phase. farmer's market, just um, ask around, be like, uh, who here reads tarot cards? Well, uh, you, we'll see. But right now, so as the story goes on, by the time we get to the end, like in a couple episodes, there's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of psychics. Cool. Um Right it's going to be a different type of story by that point, I think. Yeah. Uh, and there are people coming in and out of SRI that I'm just not including because they're inconsequential to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, they never, they didn't have the juice. In goes the big boy. Until another big boy shows up. Yeah. Yeah. So on May 29th, 1973, Hal Putoff was sufficiently impressed and called up Dr. Kit Green at the CIA. And Green had been tasked to make an independent evaluation of the remote viewing project because he was CIA's spooky desk guy he was the weird desk dude and he did end up becoming a he is a medical doctor i'm not sure if he was medical doctor at this point he is a doctor kit green Mm. yeah interesting character i like to think that he's just like a podiatrist no 
I'm not sure. I forget if he's a psychiatrist or uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. A medical doctor. Maybe he's just a doctor. Can you just be a doctor? Just a regular doctor. Just a doc. Um, so yeah, Kit Green had been. He was. He was the liaison, CIA's liaison to SRI. And so to test this breakthrough that Hal was telling him about, Kit Green wanted to use ultra precise coordinates that even he didn't know what they referred to. That even Kit Green didn't know what they referred to. So like Hal said, like, okay, Kit. Why don't you pick some coordinates that and make them like, you know, really specific? Uh, like, you know, I guess that's how you would prevent the map memorizing. Yeah. By being like, okay, we're looking at a house. Zero it in. Right. Yeah. Um, so Hal's like, all right, give us some ultra precise coordinates so we don't know what the coordinates are. Kate Green goes, I'll do you one better. I'll get you coordinates even I don't know what it refers to. So he calls up his buddy, works down the ho- down the hall. He says, uh, hey, give me some coordinates. Don't tell me what they are. Just pick some at random, you know, know what they are and I'll, I'll get back to you later. So Donnelly dude gives him uh, some coordinates. It's on the East Coast, you know, a whole continent away. Ingo Swan viewed it and wrote, this seems to be some sort of mounds or rolling hills. There's a city to the north. This seems to be a strange place, somewhat like the lawns that one would find around a military base. But I get the impression there are some old bunkers around, maybe a covered reservoir there must be a flagpole, some highways to the west, possibly a river over to the far east to the south, more city, right? Um, and later that night, this like place would stick with Ingo Swan. Like it left a big impression. So he like the next day he viewed the place again and wrote an even more detailed summary of the same exact place, right? Mm-hmm. He drew two different maps, one more detailed than the other on the second place, and like didn't really know why he this was like sticking with him. Yeah. He was fucking sure of what he was seeing. Right before Hal put off was to send these two reports to Kit Green, he received a faded phone call. Pat Price was in his mid-50s, a grizzly Christmas tree farmer. Oh. Ex-retired police commissioner Hmm. who had first met Hal put off at a lecture uh, some years ago. He had always considered himself a psychic and in his retirement worked with the police to crack various cases. Now, he told Hal Putoff that he was getting psychic impressions about people and events almost every day. So he was just like a friendly acquaintance of Hal's that just happened to give him a call. Hey, we're yeah. looking for psychics. Like, mind if I come down from my Christmas tree farm? Getting pretty bored in my retirement. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was doing shit like, Pat Price was like in his free time, like tracking Soviet submarines at formations. He had this map where he just had these pins of like he was reviewing Soviet submarines. This guy's and cool. He's awesome. Pat Price is fucking incredible. On impulse, Hal Putoff decides to say, hey, why don't you, Pat, why don't you uh, take a look at these coordinates? Tell me what you mm-hmm. what you got. So Pat Price, he views this uh, he views this site and he comes up with a description. I couldn't rewrite out all of this, so I got to pull up the bookmark in my Kindle. And this will give you a an idea of, so this will give you a, an idea of just how good Pat Price was. Wow. This is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. New new man on the scene. Pat Price might not be human. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. this fucking guy, dude. It's crazy. It's crazy shit. So Hal asked him to view this site. A couple days later, Hal gets a, a letter. It just has a bunch of maps that he's drawn, like these really detailed sketches of things. And the description, um, starting from high above the target and then moving down and around and within it. 
Looked at general area from altitude of about 1,500 feet above highest terrain. On my left forward quadrant is a peak in a chain of mountains, elevation approximately 4,996 feet above, above sea level. Slopes are grayish slate covered with a variety of broadleaf trees, vines, shrubbery, and undergrowth. I'm facing about 3 to 5 degrees west of north, looking down the mountain to the right, east. Side is a, high, is a roadway, freeway country style. Curves around the base of mountain from southwest, swings north for a few miles, then heads east by northeast to a fairly large city about 30 to 40 miles distant. This area was a battleground in civil war. Low rolling hills, creeks, few lakes or reservoirs. There is a smaller town a little southeast. Weather at this time is cloudy, rainy. Temperature at my altitude is about 54 degrees, high cumulonimbus clouds to about 25,000 to 30,000 feet. Clear area, but turbulent. Between that level and some cirrostratus at about 46,000 feet. Air mass in that strip moving west by northwest to southeast. Okay, um, already. Pat, could you be a little bit more specific? <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, holy shit. Okay, he keeps going. Perceive that peak area has large underground storage areas. Road comes up backsides of mountain, west slopes, fairly well concealed, deliberately so. It's cut under trees where possible. Would be very hard to detect flying over area. Looks like former missile site. Bases for launch are still there, but area now houses. Ha now houses record storage area, microfilm, file cabinets as you go into underground area through aluminum rolled up doors. First area filled with records, etc. Rooms about 100 feet long, 20 foot ceilings with concrete supporting pilasters. Flare shaped, temperature cool, fluorescent lighted, personnel, Army 5th Corps engineers. Master Sergeant Long on desk placard on gray steel desk. Someone's name, Sergeant Long. File cabinet security locked. Combination locks, steel, steel rods through eye bolts. Beyond these rooms, heading east, are several bays with computers, communications equipment, large maps, display type overlays, personnel, Army Signal Corps, elevators. And then he saw on one of the desks had a stack of papers labeled Flytrap, Minerva, a fucking another file cabinet was labeled Operation Pool, second word unreadable. Folders inside the cabinet were labeled Q Ball, 14 Ball, 8 Ball, Rack Up. Name of the site seems vaguely like Hayfork or Haystack personnel. Colonel R.J. Hamilton, Major General George R. Nash, Major John C. Calhoun. What? <laughs> it's um, all incredibly um, detailed. Inc like, insanely detailed. And now, accurate? <sighs> or? Check this out. Well, I, I should say in Ingo Swan's second report, he was much more detailed than the first one. He described the aluminum doors. Mm -hmm. He described, like, a lot of the physical features. Ingo did not believe that you could ever read anything yeah. in a remote viewing session, in an astral projection session. In fact, like Pat Price is the only guy who could ever do that. I think another dude could do it a tiny bit, but. Well, it's also interesting how he says the exact feet of like the height of the mountains and stuff. It's super because strange. I wonder like if that psychic impression that he gets is something that he understands spatially from looking at the mountain or if the number pops into his mind. Right. Yeah. I was wondering if it's more of like a clairsentience thing, just yeah. the, the psychic knowing. Right. Right. Rather um, than a, like I can visually. He described out. it as being there. Yeah. Like he was looking around, mm -hmm. you know, he described it as like, as if he was just actually there. Yeah. I can tell that. Yeah. Just when he gives those exact figures. Yeah. No, I know. Like where does. Can he just, I can't guess that. He accurately. might just be really good at dead reckoning because of yeah. like his hobbies, because he was a police commissioner. Right. Like, you know, I feel like people that are into, I don't know if he's um, into shooting as a hobby, Probably. like guns. Um, yeah. 
but people that are into that, mm-hmm. if, if they're into uh, like, what do you call fucking like bullets that as a hobby when people are really and shooting shit I like guns? No, I don't know. There's like a name for it, but I feel like those marksmanship. People, nah, I don't know. Those people are really good at judging distance, though. Oh, yeah. I had a gun nerd, um, a friend of mine tell give a UFO experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're uh, there's it was the most detail oriented right. UFO experience report I've ever received. So like if distance Christmas and size. Former cop guys into guns. Pat Price. Can, yes, yeah. Pat Price. Yeah, I can see it. Mm-hmm. But just to be clear, Ingo's sw- second description was also very detailed as well. Just nowhere near that. Yeah. Right. Ingo and Pat did describe the same thing. It was both the same place that they were looking at. So they got the same coordinates. They got the same coordinates. They both described the aluminum doors. They described the cities in the same positions. They described what the place looked like from above. They described the geography around it exactly the same. Cool. It's just that Pat Price was able to go inside and read shit. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like looking at these two descriptions, you would be dead sure that they were just talking about the same place. Yeah. Right. So they send the reports to Kit Green. And Hal's like, uh, here you go. <laughs> I don't know if I can know what this is. Yeah. Kit Green brings in his friend. O'Donnell's his name. The guy who gave him the coordinates. Hands him the stuff. Tude looks at it. And he just starts shaking his head. He's like, Kit, this isn't even close. <laughs> I gave you coordinates to my summer cabin. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Oh, he only had Ingo's. And then. He called up Hal. He's like, my guy says it's bullshit. And Hal goes, ah, gee, that's too bad. Because the other guy described the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he sends him Pat Price's shit. Mm. Um, Kit Green rightly thought that something weird was happening. Right. Because it's like, okay, that's not a summer cabin. <laughs> right. And there's these but two what is that? ultra detailed descriptions. Like if they were trying to pull one over on him, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> that's insane. So Kit Green... Takes a drive out to that cabin, takes a drive out to the coordinates one weekend. And yeah, he finds the cabin. He just goes a little ways away. He finds a dirt road, a government no trespassing sign and satellite antennas in the background, much of which seemed to be exactly what Swan and Price were describing. No shit. O'Donnell had no idea that facility was there because this facility, this dude's CIA guy, he has no idea that this fucking facility is right next door to his, Mm -hmm. his cabin. This is the like one of the absolute most secret facilities in the U.S. It is oh. a yeah, it is a secret NSA facility huh. dealing with cryptography and the interception of international phone calls and control of U.S. spy satellites. It was also focused on cat like catching and intercepting Russian spy satellites on their way over, pulling data off of them. It was top topest top secret. Yeah, right? it was mostly underground and nuclear hardened. Because they knew that, well, with their own people didn't know about it, the Ruski sure did. And they knew it would be a target for nuclear strike yeah. should it come to that. So Green asks about this site. He, you know, calls, he doesn't know this. So he calls up the chain and he's like, hey, what's up with this uh, site? You have these descriptions here of uh, Project Minerva, Project Flytrap and shit. Yeah, the Pentagon. I, I was literally just thinking, I need to look up what Project Minerva is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... I'm, I, it was just stuff like that. It was spy yeah. shit. But, um, so that's not a thing. It's a thing for sure. I just don't know what oh, really, okay. but it's like, it was <laughs> secret ass shit. I didn't have time to look at it all. Yeah. Really. So Kit Green just naively asks about this shit. 
Mm -hmm. The Pentagon freaks the fuck out because they suspect a massive criminal leak of information because of how accurate Pat Pat Price was. Uh Uh-oh. Like, yeah, there were, those, those people did work there. That was their names. Yeah. Those projects, the stack of paper on their desks, Project Minerva, Project Flytrap, in the filing cabinet, Project 8-Ball, mm-hmm. Rackup, Q-Ball. What? Like, And you can understand why anybody, any, even knowing about the psychics, sh- should be like, yo, what the fuck? Yeah. We have a leak of every detail of our most secret base. Right. Yeah. Uh, they launched a full-scale investigation complete with, like, knocking on doors around Hal and Russell's neighborhood their family's neighborhoods asking if anyone suspected the two scientists might be communists or may have ever been communists. Or, oh God. Yeah. Hey man, Soviets, they spy. It's true. I can see exactly like why there would be suspicion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's, here's Kit Green talking about the NSA investigation. These clips are um, from the documentary third eye spies that uh, came out a few years ago, 2017. I think it's decent. It's a little ham fisted, but yeah. it's, it's a good watch. Within 24, 48 hours, I had security officers in my office at headquarters. And, and they were grim-faced and they were upset. And I've been told, I was told this officially, it's been made public. The filing cabinets were there, they were green, there were file folders, and they had the exact three names on the file folders. Now, uh, that was the first thing that was important, is that they were correct. However, those guys out in California got the code names. They got code names that were part of a special access program. Not just code names. They got special access program code names which were classified top secret. Which the were names were classified top secret. We were then descended upon by all the law enforcement of the United States. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And you, that, God damn, just the idea that fucking some dude, a continent, like none, all your secrets, all the government secrets, right? Yeah. Oh shit. Like some dude can just be sitting in a chair looking at all our stuff. Every breath you take. I have to bring it back. You do. <laughs> and they're like, oh, can't you see? And Russell Targ is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I cannot see. No. <laughs> no, I actually, I ride my motorcycle, but I feel alone. Yeah, I he, psychically ride it. He was a motorcycle enthusiast, Russell Targ. That's really funny. I hope not is, because he's not dead yet. He's Now he's real old and real blind. <laughs> yeah. So the government didn't like this. Mm-hmm. But that summer... Pat Price won the NSA, CIA, and Kit Green over by remote viewing a Soviet installation that performed similar functions to the American one. Area site underground, reinforced concrete, doorways of steel of the roll-up type. I see some helipads, concrete light rail tracks run from pads to another asset of rails that parallel the doors into the mountain. 30 miles north of the site is a radar installation with one large disc and two fast-track dishes. He also noticed that at the time he was viewing viewing the site, it was mostly staffed with female workers, just straight as a curious... And that is. And all of these details would turn out to be correct. Now they have a perfect map. They know that it's only women here during, you know, during this time, like 
just boom. Shit, now we know that. Uh, the stories of the psychic's accomplishments spread fast, and soon high-ranking military, congressmen, scientists, and intel operatives were making pilgrimages to SRI. They were asking all sorts of questions like, can you see Soviet submarines? Can you see into the past? How about the future? Can you communicate with dead spies? (laughs) 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 Most of what they worked on over the next years was just the remote viewing with coordinates, or scan it, as Ingo Swan called it. Scan it. Yeah. And now Pat Price and Ingo Swan, despite being opposite people, shared certain characteristics common to shaman types. And they like looked at this too. This was like, what do psychics have in common? You know, I'm sure if they were in a different culture, mm-hmm. like raised elsewhere, that they would be shamans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Magicians, whatever. Like they are. Yeah, they're yeah. shaman types. Mystics. You know, Swan had his, his left handedness. His UFO beliefs, his stories of his grandmother being a Sioux medicine woman, his childhood paranormal experiences, you know, the stereotypical image. But Pat Price, who was often introduced to other government people, they brought out Pat Price, not Ingo Swan. Mm-hmm. They introduced him as a former police commissioner. He was even more of a shaman. He claimed he could control the weather and make traffic lights bend to his will. <laughs> he believed he was the reincarnation of the great American orator Patrick Henry. And he told Hal Putoff that UFOs were coming from under Alaska's Mount Hayes. Patrick Henry. I like that. You know, it's different from the usual claims of like, oh, I'm George Washington or whoever. It's humble. It is. It's humble. It is. (laughs) Um, And now, even though these two men should have had a lot in common, there was an uneasy rivalry between the two. Yeah, I could always in competition. Pat Price was a way better psychic than Ingo Swan. Like just, he, he was better at it. Mm -hmm. Full stop. And Swan knew it and it bothered him. But to be fair to Ingo Swan... Pat Price was a better psychic by a country mile than any other remote viewer in the more than 20 years that the program was active. Like, dude was something else. He's a superstar. Yeah, he's a superman. Like, but no one could do what Pat Price could do, ever. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, one time, Kit Green sent coordinates to the remote viewers, and Ingo Swan went to town, describing a base on an island in the Indian Ocean in extreme detail. In his tranced out state, his drawing hand was flying all over the paper, searching for more space. And like Hal Putoff is just like replacing the papers under Ingo Swan's drawing hand is literally, he's just taking one, yeah. throwing another one under it, like a Formula One pit crew changing tires. Right. Like the, the site Ingo was describing was a joint French-Soviet meteorological, God, I can't just say anything that starts with an M anymore. Meteorological. Meteorological weather weather research station that was suspected of being a cover for a Soviet missile tracking or listening post. Swan described details of the island, real details that were not shown on any map of the place. Pat Price saw that and he was like, nah, (laughs) nah, lame. (laughs) Price was given his own set of- I'll do you one better. Yeah. Price was given his own set of, end quote, sexy coordinates, meaning- Actual mission critical coordinates. Uh, this was a, you know, it was for when the CIA decided it was time to start using the psychics on actually sensitive targets. Yeah. You know, to find out shit they don't know. Because a lot of the stuff they're doing beforehand, they already have the satellite imagery. They can confirm it, mm-hmm. you know. So this one, they give Pat Price. This was a mysterious Soviet research facility at the southern edge of the semipalatinsk 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 nuclear test range in the Kazakh Republic, now Kazakhstan. Uh, Air Force intelligence designated the site as Peanuts. Peanuts. Probable nuclear underground test site. Okay. Why such a cute name for something so terrifying? what they do. So 
Pat Price, in an electrically shielded room, sat down next to a tape recorder, polished his glasses. Russell Targ read him the coordinates. Pat Price closes his eyes and goes into he starts saying, You know, this reminds me of that old joke that starts with a guy in his penthouse looking up at the 3rd Avenue L, L train. I thought, like, that was, he was going to make his own joke, like a quip. This reminds me of that old joke. That's always how, like, a joke starts. No, he doesn't. He's literally like, this reminds me of that old joke about the guy looking at the L train. Sure, Pat. Yeah. He explained what, he was, what joke? I don't know. This is what the fuck. <laughs> he explained that he was lying on his back on the top of some building in the warm sunshine, looking at an enormous crane straddling the building. Like, mm-hmm. um, as I drift up and look down, it seems to be riding on a rail with one track on either side of the building. I've never seen anything like it. He explained that it was used to move things around the underground facility. Near the crane were several other buildings and gas canisters. Oh my god, my dumbass was imagining like a literal giant like bird. Oh no, we'll get to the giant birds later. Okay. Yeah. This is a, a crane to move shit around. I, I understand that. Yeah, on two tracks. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> it says that near the crane were several other buildings and gas canisters. The CIA checked with the satellite imaging division to confirm and ensure a ship. Pat Price's description and drawing matched perfectly. Like he drew this fucking thing. This weird fucking crane thing. And Price would keep returning to the site, finding more and more details that the Soviets were experimenting with new welding technologies. He was looking at their welds. And Price even met personally with the CIA boys. He, he told them about these strange metal spheres he had seen and said that they were going to be testing explosions underground and that the spheres were to contain these explosions. Uh. So there were rumors, I'm not sure how confirmed it was, like that, that it was a, like death rays they were testing or like particle beam weapons. And that these were to contain the shit. But regardless, you know, he's telling the CIA about these fucking huge metal spheres that just sound real weird and like dreamlike and the strange crane that no one's ever seen. Satellite images confirmed the crane. And then, you know, his drawing side by side with the satellite photos would secure SRI funding for years. But then in late 74 or early 75, Air Force Intelligence would catch pictures of the spheres outside for the first time. Further confirmation of Price's ability. What the fuck are these spheres? Yeah, they were... To contain some sort of explosion of, of some God, type. It's so Explosive weird. testing. Yeah. And he had described these fears before anyone else in the United States knew they existed. And that's like, you can go look at those files. Yeah. yeah. CIA.gov reading room. Like, it's there. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Pat Price was the only remote viewer who could consistently pull alphanumeric information out of his sessions. Mm-hmm. Generally considered, like, even now to be perhaps impossible. Yeah. Like it's, you're not gonna, that's why they have to use other shit like uh, associative remote viewing for the stock market and shit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That, that was one of the episodes that ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh my God. One of the, the first lost episodes. The, there are lost episodes. We have lost episodes. We do in fact have lost episodes. A couple. <laughs> that's some nonsense, bizarre lore. Yeah. You can sit on that for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like he was just that good. Pat, he was just that good. And Pat Price. And to everyone around them. Sounds Pat, like he should host a game show. Yeah. He. Yeah. There's a sad ending to this story. <laughs> 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 this perfect. This one is pretty, pretty fucking sad. Damn. Yeah. So to everyone around them, Pat Price was an endless sunny day, warm hearted and friendly. While Ingo Swan, although he could be the life of the party, joking and all great fun and affable, charismatic, witty. Right. He could turn in an instant if he suspected he was being disrespected. Oh. Yeah. Pedantic is a word used to describe Ingo Swan. Mm. Schnabel uses the phrase, a storm ready to break, 
probably borderline, you know, or at least appearing as borderline personality disorder traits. Just like everyone was walking on eggshells around him all the time. Yeah. Because the, they never knew what thing they would say that would just turn him from happy life, the party guy, to just throwing a tantrum. Yeah. Right. And Ingo Swan regarded Pat Price as a manipulator and would only work with him if absolutely necessary, which I feel like is projection. Because I don't. Yeah. I feel know? like he was jealous. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Pat Price was obviously everyone's favorite psychic. Yeah. And Ingo knew this, but Ingo Swan was the person conducting actual experiments and trying to figure out if not, how does Psy work? Then how do we refine Psy to make it something reliable? Even once this team at SRI is dead and gone mm-hmm. and he worked his fucking ass off. So like Pat Price had this natural ability that no one else would ever had. Mm-hmm. The whole history of the thing. Or who would probably ever suspect him of having. Right. Or that he could teach anyone to have. Yeah. He did this thing. He was a superstar and shit. Ingo Swan believed that everybody could have, could be trained in this. He thought it was an innate human ability. Mm-hmm. And what he was really working on was refining it into a training program and actually doing the work that the government had hired them to do. Whereas, that's cool. I like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think Pat Price is so interesting. The idea of someone that's just like, you wouldn't ever expect them of having these abilities, right. but it's just like, well, damn, I guess I do. I don't even know how I got them, but I have them. And when so. he's given an outlet in a context that he understands working for the government at law enforcement, shit yeah. like that, like then he can, you know, kind of open up and let that flow instead of like trying right. to hide it and go crazy or whatever. Right. But yeah, I wanted to give some, you know, Kudos to Ingo Swan too. Absolutely. Because he's the dude that figured out how to train people. Even if people disagree with his methods from time to time, usually people with really strong natural ability mm-hmm. disagree with his methods, but yeah. Good I job, have to Ingo. agree that I do think that everyone has mm-hmm. innate. I think so. Supernatural abilities. Yeah. Uh, I think so. As I've said before that the psychic shit is um, the only thing I'll 100% go to bat for. Yeah. Like I've just, it just happens. And like read this book is like, realize how much shit has been confirmed that like it's really hard to write off mm-hmm. you know um but anyway uh ingo wasn't really happy with how pat was getting all the accolades yeah and, of course not pay attention to me yeah and when swan's contract ended in 1973 al put off drove him to the airport and gave him a pep talk about how much they had accomplished and how much they would accomplish once the funding really started rolling in bingo swan angrily vowed to never return to sri <laughs> Drama queens. I know. Speaking of drama queens, Yuri Geller. Oh boy. Hey, yeah. 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 So the this famous, guy. the famous spoon bending Israeli. This weirdo. Like I could go get a spoon from upstairs and bend it right now. Right. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> Yuri Geller, if you've never heard of him, was a uh, he was a celebrity. He was a celebrity psychic from Israel that demonstrated like spoon bending and all the stuff on TV and like did world tours and stuff in the 1970s, 60s and 70s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Famous um, for being humiliated by James Randi, too. Yeah, it's the thing that James Randi trots out all the time. Yeah. Like, fuck you, James Randi. Yeah, I think that the gimmick of I'll give you a thousand dollars to prove something that is I don't I don't think it's provable. In well, that it's way. always also that it's James Randi's. um he dictates how the experiment's set up. And so yeah. it's like, it's right. It, the scale's weighted in his favor quite a bit. And I think there was one time he just flat out said, no, I'm not going to pay you because it's not real. Mm-hmm. Even though they fulfilled the conditions. Right. He was a piece of shit. He was a bastard. Yeah. Like he did, did a lot of bad. I liked him too, though. I, I didn't because he was a bastard. 
I like oh. him, but he's so cocky. Yeah, and he fucked like this. This is like I think it's good to expose flim flam and fakery. It is. I think that's really good. But so but much he's so cocky about it. So much of the problems the remote viewing program ran into was what the team called the giggle factor, just the innate bias of, against it by mm-hmm. the hardcore capital S skeptics. Where it's like if you, you see this time and again, if they hadn't been biased in this way, like the research would have been presented in a different way. Yeah. And like the whole, all the criticisms that people have of this project would have been nullified if the researchers weren't so biased against Psy that the people doing the work thought they had to hide certain elements of the programs from them. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that's why there hasn't, there hasn't been enough research on this stuff to really make too many determinations because I feel like it's not something that people want to fund. Here's the thing though. There's been a ton of research. Yeah. Like a ton. And there has been like, you know, parapsychology and modern psychiatry came out of the same place. Yes. Like, you know, hypnosis and shit, the mesmeric trance and shit. cannot discount that. Right. And like, you know, there was a vote at a scientific uh, council. I think I have this later in the script that they voted to, there was a American committee of some sciences or whatever, like voted in the 60s after an impassioned speech by anthropologist Margaret Mead to admit parapsychology as a legitimate science. Mm-hmm. Like it is like there are, are papers in the lost episodes. I brought up a paper from 2013, um, the University of Colorado uh, about associated remote viewing. They want a bunch of money on the stock market. Yeah. So like there has been research. Uh, Dean Radin and uh, has has a book. I haven't read in a long time called Real Magic about his parapsychological research in right. recent times. It just doesn't have that mainstream academic credibility that... And there's honestly no reason it shouldn't. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a combination of, like, the giggle factor. Yeah. I mean, that's a... It's a big It's just thing. not the, the world that it exists in. Which is why these guys called it remote viewing and not clairvoyance or... You right. have to, that it's really important to come up with new terminology for the same old shit just mm-hmm. so that people start interpreting it differently. Yeah. Just they just that just very to, to semantic the, level. Yeah. They might know it's the same thing, but they'll just interpret it differently. Exactly. Yeah. So you're a Geller. He was famous as shit and famous for being humiliated by James Randi. Yep. Um, I don't know if he was when that was, but he made visits to SRI over the course of 1972. And while he did demonstrate his remote viewing ability quite well. He was very good. Um, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ were able to very easily replicate his other talents, especially the spoon bending. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, because they tested, they were like, can we do that too? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. So they found him to be both a talented psychic and a trickster at the same time. Which shows up goes again hand and again. in hand. Again and again. It really does. Yeah. Like You're, they do not discount each other. They certainly they, like, do not. Which is the mind fucking thing about it. Like, I'm going to go so far to say the shitty thing about it. Yeah. Because you know? <laughs> it makes it hard. Yeah. Yuri Geller did believe his powers came from a uh, giant flying saucer shaped computer called Spectra. Love um, it. And that Spectra was controlled by a distant earth governing bureaucratic entity known as Hoover. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> Spectra and Hoover. Like... Now we just have like charter spectrum. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hoover. Hoover. Oh, and um, put off and target tried to make sure that Yuri Geller only showed up at SRI while the other psychics weren't there. Ingo Swan in particular. <laughs> how, how do you think Ingo Swan felt about Yuri Geller? Hmm. I mean, he probably 
fucking hated him. Fucking hated him. <laughs> he fucking hated him. <laughs> I was going to say, you either wanted to have sex with him or hated him or both. Probably both, but he fucking hated him. Yep. In the end, Erie Geller only ended up spending six weeks at SRI. Geller's connections to Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency famous for its ruthless effectiveness. Their connections with Yuri Geller were just a little, a wee bit too strong for the CIA to be comfortable with. Because mm-hmm. um, even though the U.S. is allied with Israel, in the intelligence game, literally everyone else is the enemy. The yeah. British, the fucking Canadians, everybody. Yep. Other domestic intelligence agencies are the enemy. Mm-hmm. Fuckers paranoid beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Glowies. What? They're glowies. Glowies. What? Have you ever heard that term? I, I don't know. <laughs> we won't get into it all right yuri geller's celebrity did get sri more money though and by 1974 sri had several hundred thousand dollars of funding he was only there what six weeks six weeks damn Dude, yuri geller was fucking famous yeah and that wasn't the only thing that got them more money though yeah yeah right um and considering remote viewing research was exceedingly cheap they were comfortable for a few years. Yeah, right. You just need like a guy in a chair. Right, <laughs> eat that price, plate, plate full of pancakes and a cigar. He's good to go. Yeah, I wonder. So does everyone have their own? I know that this everyone has their own remote viewing process. Yes. Like everyone has their own thing, their own music or their ritual that they need to get into it. Yeah. And I find that really um humorous and entertaining, like everybody's different process. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There's a, a dude who shows up. He's a Mormon. And his, th- to get into his zone, he listens to fucking heavy metal music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Everyone has their own thing. Indeed. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Um, but yes, put off and Targ were told explicitly that the real funding would only come once they had their shit published in a real journal. Like, that's when, that's when you get the big bucks. Like, even though this is all great and stuff, like, we do need other scientists to tell us you're not bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right. That would be nearly impossible. <laughs> Just... Like, not only do you have to prove your work, but you also just have to get other scientists to collaborate with you, too. Yeah. Which is its own uh, challenge. Yeah. So, like, I did, I did write a little history of parapsychology. Sweet. So, sci research emerged, emerged from the same soup modern psychiatry emerged. The study of mesmeric trance in the 1700s, in modern well, terms. It goes back hypnosis. to hypnotism. Yes. Trance. Like, that's the shaman shit. It's all about trance. Gnosis. Transformation. Like, Jesus Christ. Stop it. <laughs> it was found that those who could be easily hypnotized also seemed to be gifted in psi shenanigans as well. By the late 1800s, the Western world's zeitgeist had moved towards the mechanistic rational materialism of modernity, and the thought that the mind could, could transcend time and space was increasingly seen as primitive. Except for all those fucking weirdos in robes hanging out. Yeah. Lofotsky being fucking trickster over there. Yeah. So J.B. Ryan, a botanist, heard Arthur C. Clarke lecture on psychical phenomenon. He was really into that as well. In 1922, mm-hmm. and afterwards devoted himself to psychical research, J.B. Ryan. He attempted to transform psychical research into something more mundane and fitting with this modern view, which meant dispensing with mediums and spirits and parlor tricks. Ryan founded the Duke University Parapsychology Laboratory in 1930, which kicked the mediums to the curb and produced uh, evidence that their card-guessing and dice-throwing experiments were not the result of chance. Blessed by statisticians, their work deeply impacted the wider culture. Then in 1969, after Margaret Mead gave an impassioned speech, the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences voted to admit parapsychology to its list of approved disciplines in 1969. Mm -hmm. Despite this seeming acknowledgement, the scientific community still treated parapsychology and parapsychologists like shit, basically. Yeah. Even though it's like 
bunch of people have said um, quite a long time that it's not pseudoscience. Right. Like, there's this, a fucking track record. deserving of some research and attention. <laughs> yes. But some of the main concerns are basically, what is the actual use of this stuff, right? Sure, you can do this better than chance sometimes, but what does that mean? Yeah. Right? And how put off and Russell Tar could have very easily demonstrated such utility, but alas, it was classified. Mm-hmm. You know, so they decided to do some experiments with Pat Price on on the side to gin up some data and get some goddamn recognition. So not the impressive shit they're doing, but some other experiments. And to cleanse much of the stigma that they could, they came up with a new name: remote viewing. These experiments would involve a person going to a randomly selected location and Pat Price describing where they went. Then they'd take Pat there, and a judge would determine if his additional notes had been correct. It soon became clear that Pat Price was once again just knocking it out of the park. Damn, Pat. Every single time. Literally every time. I can't. It's so impossible. Check this shit out. In October 1973, Pat Price did nine sessions and a blind judge was to match Price's description with the actual locations. Judge was able to match seven out of nine and outside statisticians verified the chance. The chance of that is one in 35,000. Decent. Not impossible. That's pretty good. There were other strange things happening, too. Price was also tested for psychokinetic ability. In one experiment, a joint effort with the American Society for Psychical Research, a box was set up in New York at the ASPR's office with a feather in it and an infrared beam to detect the slightest motion. When Pat Price, 3,000 miles away in California, directed his attention to the box, the infrared sensor triggered. He moved a feather from 3,000 miles away. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) In another experiment... One of the outbound location tests, the outbound experimenter decided to switch things up to make absolutely sure there was no funny business, like on, you know, that no one there was fucking with him. Instead of going to the designated place, the experimenter just made turns based somehow on which direction the cars in front of him turned, turned like he had an algorithm in his head yeah. that he would make turns based on what directions the cars in front of him turned, which is pretty fucking clever mm-hmm. to randomize something. Um, and at the appointed time, he would simply stop, right? 3.30 was the time that Pat Price was going to look at him. 3.30 p.m. At 3.10 p.m., as Russell Targ was setting up the tape recorder and giving the preliminary notes, stating that the experiment would be done at 3.30, Pat Price interrupts him and says, we don't have to wait that long. Yeah. And he just goes into psychic mode. He describes seeing a boat jetty, specific boats and features at a marina. At 3.10 p.m., the outbound experimenter was still in traffic. But at 3.30, after Pat Price had already finished, the experimenter found himself at Redwood City Marina. It was correct. He got it. He, he nailed it. Wow. He saw into the fucking future. So, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Pat knows he's looking at 3.30 p.m. They don't have cell phones. They can't be like, oh, we already got the notes. We know we're going to be at the marina at 3.30. Mm-hmm. No need to go there. We already got it. Like, nah, dude's just in traffic doing his fucking weird shit. He gets to the place. The recording has it at 3.10. That, yeah, 20, yeah. 20 minutes before that. 20 minutes before it. Pat knew where he was going to be. Every breath you take. <laughs> It's kind of creepy, actually. It is. (laughs) Now, so this is all the stuff that they submitted to the scientific community, right? But there's another little hiccup in the perception of these guys. Right. Beyond just the predisposition against any psi phenomenon in the scientific community, there's also the matter of the researchers themselves. Mm -hmm. See, uh, Hal Putoff was a former Scientologist who had only recently left the church. Right, right. Yeah. He, although in Hal's case, he was then working for a anti-Scientology, like he was, or not working for, but he was, instead of in Scientology, he was in a group of former Scientologists who are now against 
right. the Church of Scientology. That And that's good. That is good. But just the perception of him as a former Scientologist in general. Dealing with Psy. Yeah. You know, trying to get legitimate and shit. And this is like the 1970s too. Mm-hmm. This is right when that whole... Opera- Operation Snow White. Yep. Yeah, which is yes. when... The Church of Scientology got lives inside uh, a whole bunch of government institutions like the IRS and shit and destroyed a bunch of documents and stuff. <laughs> they, they, kind of badass. It honestly is. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I gotta give it to them on that front. It's hardcore. Yeah. It's fucking hard boiled. But OK, it wasn't just Hal put off either. Ingo Swan was a full blown OT7 Scientologist mm-hmm. who probably left the church we don't really know yeah so from the outside perhaps this might look like you know yeah um a whole bunch of other people at sri were also scientologists Mm. now okay uh as jim schnabel points out at this time you could dabble in scientology without being a full-blown like sea org commodore hat wearing fucking epaulette like david miscavige wasn't in control yet it wasn't the monstrous lich monster that it is now you know i mean it's still a monster Elrond hubbard is definitely a monster but like doesn't have the same legacy that it does now because now it's what 50 years later so there's been a lot more time for a reputation yeah and yeah exactly knowledge to develop we've talked about Elrond hubbard before scientology yes we have yeah and Schnabel points out that the modern language Scientology used for psychic phenomena, magic shit, uh, was much more palatable for scientists than the language of mystics and shamans. Yeah. So it makes fucking sense for these guys to be into Scientology because, as we learned in our series on Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard based all of Scientology on Western magic, particularly the magic of Aleister Crowley and Thelema with a shittier coat of paint. Yeah. Yeah. It's that shit. So it's no surprise to me at all that these guys are involved in Scientology, Mm -hmm. right? As we've said, the reason cults like Scientology are so successful is because the techniques they teach you fucking work. Yeah. Yeah. They just wrap these real techniques in a totalitarian control scheme that bleeds you out. Yeah. Makes you pay a thousand dollars per force. Makes you pay your whole soul. Yeah. Like that's the problem. It's not that the actual gimmicks are You literally have to sign like what, what is it? A billion year contract. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was one more person who is a Scientologist. Mm. Pat Price was a lifelong Scientologist. Who oh. never, yeah. The, oh. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, imagine, imagine the CIA's chagrin mm. when they realize their fucking Superman, their Superman's church is infiltrating all the, all the government agencies and stuff. Yeah. yeah. How about that? How about that? So that was people didn't like that. That's right? understandable. I, I can see why it would alienate people. Yeah. I mean, Scientology fucking sucks. Yeah. It but has a bad reputation. Put off wasn't a Scientologist at that point. Right. English and also would eventually leave. Being an ex-Scientologist, that goes in someone's favor. You know? Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. But eventually, Put Off and Targ did get some studies published in the very well-known journal Nature in 1974, which is like, that's like the science journal. Mm-hmm. That's the big one. That's the biggest get you're going to get. And also uh, in the proceedings of the IEEE, an electrical engineering journal. Yeah. All right. You ready for some weird shit? I'm ready. So at around the same time, 1974-ish, another group of scientists 
at the Livermore Nuclear Laboratory, had heard of the exploits of Yuri Geller and the SRI guys around very sensitive military and intel secrets. They were worried it was a security threat. If we're doing this, obviously someone other people are doing. Mm-hmm. We're the nuke guys. I'm mm-hmm. scared, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they decided to do their own tests on Yuri Geller. And this gets this gets wild. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, boy. So <laughs> this is... Yeah, this is okay. During one session monitoring Geller's spoon bending, which still isn't real, by the way. Yep. uh, They were taking infrared photos of the whole thing, like fractions of a second, just the entire thing with an infrared camera. Um, On a series of photos, two anomalous spots of infrared radiation by the top of the room come out of nowhere and grow in intensity and then disappear into nothing while Yuri Geller's doing his, his shit, right? There was also an audio recording of the session, and upon re-listening, they heard a weird metallic voice, completely unheard during the actual session, Mm. but now totally audible, saying random words. Oh, creepy. Yeah. That's really creepy. Gary Geller said it happens sometimes. It just happens sometimes. (laughs) Oh, it's no biggie. It happens all the time. Kit Green, upon hearing this... uh, was disturbed to find that those random words were the names of classified projects. Oh, shit. Yeah. Now, like, we don't know what that is at all. The only thing I know about that is how much it reminds me of other paranormal stories. Yeah. It's almost like the spoon bending isn't the trick. Right. That's just like the thing that is being concentrated on, you know? Maybe he fucking can bend spoons. Maybe he can bend them way easier than other people can. Right. You know, but like that's, same principle. that's just a distraction or a tool mm-hmm. for concentration and meditation while all this other stuff is happening. Yeah. And around. Like, dude, fucking Yuri Geller said that he got his powers because of a fucking UFO named Spectra that was controlled by Hoover. Hoover. And now you've had this like other entity. J. Edgar Hoover. Fuck, it's the ghost of J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> now dance around for me. Yeah. <laughs> He would attach himself to Yuri Geller. I don't yeah. know if he was dead at this point. Probably not. Because I think he was still dead. Yeah, yeah, right. It's the Tulpa of J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Oh, no. So, but that's not the only strangeness. Not by a fucking long shot. Oh, wow. They, you know, Livermore Nuclear Lab, they got in touch with Kit Green because he was the guy. He was worked at the weird desk, right? You had weird shit happen. You call Kit Green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Want that job. Boys, if you're listening, I'm a good candidate. Yeah. I'm very discerning. Mm-hmm. And I'll prioritize how fucking cool something is over my moral scruples any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good quality in a candidate. That's the I think that's the only quality the CIA looks for. But <laughs> so the strangeness continued after this Yuri Geller bullshit. Over the days and weeks that followed, while both while they were at the lab and while they were at home, the Livermore researchers would be visited by a monochrome hologram-ass-looking flying saucer about eight inches across. Just chilling. Mm. Floating around some. Just hanging out in their homes. Eight millimeters? No, eight inches. Oh. Did I say millimeters? I don't know. That's kind of tiny. It's a small little flying saucer that just shows up, like, over their dinner table or, like, in the fucking lab. It's gray. It looks like a hologram. Uh, uh, That is very high strangeness. Yeah. Yeah. Like a sometimes, teeny tiny UFO. Sometimes it was giant birds. Oh. <laughs> now we got the giant crane. Yeah. One researcher one researcher and his wife 
awoke one night to see this fucked up big bird staring at them from the foot of their bed. Like big bird from Sesame Street or just like. It, like just like a big bird. Oh. Like that's all. That's what they say. It's just like a, it showed up and it started moving cartoonishly around the room. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. Moving cartoonishly is a, that's a scary way for. Oh shit. Move. That sentence was referring to the flying saucer. Oh. Yeah. Flying saucer just hanging out, moving like a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this wasn't just one time, like not one flying saucer, not one bird, like multiple people saw the flying saucer. Multiple people saw the birds, which is weird. Cause if it, if one person's seen a flying saucer, one person's seen a bird, one person's seen something else, then you'd be like, oh, they're drugging him. Yeah. Because that's what the CIA has been doing at this time. Mm-hmm. Right. They're also working on like using uh, microwave and uh, acoustic waves to mind control people. That was yeah. one of the secret projects, apparently, from what this book says. Yep. Yep. Something we're looking at. Then there's the arm. The arm, eh? The arm. The arm of justice. The arm of fucking something. Yeah. So the Livermore nuclear scientists, these these are the guys working on nukes, by the way. They they reached out to Kit Green and they told him all the shit that was happening, that they're afraid they're losing their fucking minds. Uh like these people were crying telling him about this shit. Mm-hmm. Like they are. Their world was collapsing around them. Yeah. They were going fucking nuts, which is, it's weird. These guys were, the other guys aren't. Yuri Geller and his flying, okay. One night, Livermore scientist Don Curtis and his wife were sitting in the in their living room when all of a sudden, this apparition of an arm appeared in their living room, just floating in the air in the center. An arm in the sleeve of a gray suit, slowly spinning in the middle of their room. <laughs> like... Except at the end of the arm wasn't a hand. It was a fucking hook. Just hanging out there, spinning. Okay. Gray at suit first, arm. I thought that it was funny, but the hook makes it scary. Every, it's so weird. Like. Okay. It gets better. They called Kit Green about this one too. And this one pushed Green over the edge. He called SRI and asked, told Putoff and Targ that the next time they're in Washington, they need to meet in a private place. So they do shortly after. They meet in a hotel room and uh, Kit Green is telling them all about the Livermore weirdness, trying to, what do you, what could this be? Do you have any idea? And he gets to the arm and he's finishing up the story and Kit Green says, and so the goddamn arm, the thing was rotating it with this gray suit on it and it had a hook on it. It was a false arm. What do you think of that? And as soon as he said the word that, they all heard a sharp knock on the door. Upon opening the door, they saw an unassuming middle-aged man in a gray suit. Remarkable only by his unremarkableness. He walked very slowly. Mr. Miggs. <laughs> God the damn it. He walked very slowly with a stiff gait, awkwardly into the room, past Kit Green, and in an odd, stilted voice, he said, Oh, I must be in the wrong room. And then he turned around and slowly walked out. As he did, the men saw that the right sleeve of his suit was pinned to his side. Man only had one arm. The fuck is that? That's really creepy. Yeah. It's super fucking creepy, dude. Oh. Like, this is- You did the voice real creepy, too. The way they described it was super fucking weird, man. Yeah. I don't, like, what the fuck? What the- And this is Kit Green. Like, he's a high-up dude in the CIA. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a dude with authority. He's not just some schmuck. Of course, secrets within secrets within secrets, you know? Yeah. But, you know, at this time, the CIA was starting to take all this shit seriously. Especially after this bullshit- Right. Especially when you have other scientists looking at this and weird shit's happening to him. Now it's like, okay, 
okay, s- s- something fucked up's going on here. Yeah. And they thought that maybe they should cut out some middlemen. So at this time, Ingo Swan had agreed to come back to SRI. Yeah, it's 1974. Yeah. Um, he got over his tantrum yeah, and went oh, back to right, go do the race. Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in remote viewers, Jim Schnabel writes that Pat Price at this time accepted an offer to go work under contract at a coal mine in West Virginia. Like he wanted to, he just wanted to go oh, work at a coal okay. mine. Okay. Yeah, maybe they just didn't have any gigs right then. They're like, I don't know. Well, Jim Schnabel says that during this time, the CIA approached him to run a few independent tests to prove to their superiors the shit worked. Okay, I'll describe these tests. Okay. He was asked to describe three sites the CIA already knew, Chinese buildings in Africa. And he, of course, nailed it. Down to stuff like saying, while astrally walking down a hallway in trance, watch your step in this hallway, the light is bad. And the CIA knew that the light in that room was indeed bad. Also, Pat Price picked up that the photo he was given to view had been developed by one of the CIA men he was talking to a mile away from the site, the target site. The only hiccup he had was when viewing a Chinese consulate. He saw a ton of beds and felt a ton of pain. The CIA thought it was a miss. But later, Ken Kress, one of the agents, would learn that the building was a girls' school dormitory before World War II and was a hospital during the war. So he sees a lot of beds. So in he's a seeing the right location, just wrong time. Sometime wrong time, yeah. Yeah. Now, Schnabel says that that's they just hired him to do these tests and that his oh. coal mining job wasn't a cover. He actually did work there. But okay. that book was written in 1997. Mm hmm. In the much more recent documentary, Third Eye Spies, Kit Green and Ken Kress admit that, yeah, they totally poached Pat Price from SRI and had him work directly for the CIA. For a little while, Pat Price was the CIA's psychic asset. He was the, he was the fucking CIA man. Yeah. He belonged to CIA for- As well he should uh, if, if yeah. his powers are like for real. Because imagine the applications if someone can not only zero in on a location, mm-hmm. but- if you need them to go look at this location on a certain date, yeah, like I mean, that could be invaluable. Pat Price is a super weapon. Yeah, it's like fucking Doctor Manhattan and Watchmen. I mean, I like fucking yeah. You'd be in. He's a short, portly, chain smoking, hard drinking panic. If I panic, was he- invisible. <laughs> yeah, he's just watching every you know, just time traveling, like looking in on shit. Like what the fuck? So it should be noted that the Russians were also seriously, seriously working for parapsychological supremacy. And before shit got serious with the military and with the CIA, you know, they, well, they're not working for the military yet. They're working for CIA. That's mm-hmm. a different thing, right? And science gets published all, like the Soviets were reading nature. That wasn't classified, right? Yeah. And so civilian level Soviet scientists were like, they're going to the same conferences and shit in other countries, which is weird. Like it was cold. It was a cold war. You know, yeah, burr. Um, and so the Russians were very much aware of SRI. They're very much aware of Pat Price. Um, Humble Christmas tree farmer. Yeah. They know who Pat Price, the super weapon is. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1975, at the end of Pat Price's stint with the CIA, he was going back to California to rejoin his friends at SRI. Going back to see my friends. It'd be great. Yeah. He stopped in Vegas to do some gambling with his friends, Bill and Judy Alvarez. Now, Pat Price was not a healthy man. At 56 years old, he could have passed for a man in his mid-70s. Oh. He had a terrible diet. He smoked like a bastard and his heart was going bad. He had recently decided that when he got back to LA, he was actually going to go see a fucking doctor and fix his shit. You know, probably under pressure from the CIA being like, dude. We need you. We need you. You cannot die. Right. At dinner in Vegas, Pat Price started feeling sick. It got so bad that he oh had to go up to his room. Too much shellfish. <laughs> 
It got so bad he had to go up to his room, and from there it got worse. Pat called Bill Alvarez up to his room, saying he needed medical help. By the time Bill Alvarez got up there, Pat Price was dead from cardiac arrest. God damn it, Pat. Alvarez would later say that Pat Price had told him that the previous night, while he was still in Washington at dinner, he suspected someone might have put something in his drink, which is a very common way for mm-hmm. the KGB to uh, take people out. Yeah. So here's um, a couple of clips from Paradise Spies talking about this. This is Kit Green. Medical circumstances would admit to a coronary and would admit to what he said he was suffering from, which was uh, poisoning. Particularly, he said, a food poisoning. And then this is uh, Hal Putoff. Later on, somebody said, well, you know, the KGB did a man. And I said, oh, yeah, I've heard these rumors. You know, I have no reason to believe that. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, there was a TV program recently. I mean, this was a decade later where they were interviewing an ex-KGB agent who had been involved uh, with an assassination squad. And um, they, the interviewer had asked him, you know, what do you do? How, you know, how do you carry out assassination? If we had somebody who was a target, we'd find out what their medical profile was, and then we would do something that would uh, cause that medical condition to go south quickly. And then it just be assumed it was uh, a medical event, and that way we would we would be you know wouldn't be found out, and uh, and so the interviewer I'm told I haven't seen this program yet I haven't been able to find it. The interviewer uh, the interviewer said, "Well, did you ever actually use that approach?" And they said, "Yeah, once on a psychic who worked for the CIA." Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. KGB murdered his ass. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the emergency people, emergency department people said that there was an individual that came in with him with a briefcase that showed the attending physician in the emergency room his uh, recent EKGs from uh, Greenbrier, which was the facility that I knew that we'd taken him to to get his cardiological workup uh, some months ago and basically said, look, here's the guy at rampant, serious coronary artery disease. He had a heart attack. So even though he died unattended in a hotel room, they decided, they meaning the hospital and the police to not make it a medical examiner case. So they didn't do an autopsy, although that's not correct. And the man disappeared with the briefcase, with the notes. They never took any records of it body was removed and cremated and then they called his wife yeah wow oh yeah that is weird weird yeah it's super fucking weird that's weird someone fucking killed pat price probably the kgb killed pat price and then they covered it up probably like i can understand a coroner coming to the determination like this is just a heart attack we don't need to because he's like you know if he's an unhealthy man who smokes like that's some fucking dude comes in with a briefcase with his ekgs yeah the fuck yeah the fuck is that yeah i mean like so the other thing is like i mean it's weird because like you know a russian admitted to doing that but then it's also like i could see like you know maybe the fucking the ufo boys Mm -hmm. just being like we know where all this power comes from. We can't have this fucking Christmas tree salesman running around this security threat. Yeah. You know. Who knows? Who, who the fuck? Like, no one knows. No one knows. I mean, now we're going to jump to uh, 
talking about Pat Price's death. Um, yeah, and Russell Targ uh, suspected, uh, he didn't make this known at the time, but he thought that, considering this was 1975, this is like right when Operation Snow White was happening, he thought that the CIA killed Pat Price because they thought he was like a liability that he, mm-hmm. you know, might belong to the Scientologist. Or, I mean, honestly, I think it would be more likely that the Scientologist would kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, in Third Eye Spies, Russell Targ actually goes to Yuri Geller's house and he talks to Yuri. He's like, Yuri, uh, you've worked with a lot of intelligence agencies. And Yuri's like, yep, sure have. I suspect the CIA killed Pat Price because he was a Scientologist. And Yuri Geller's basically like, that's not how they do things. They would just buy him. They'd figure out some way to buy him. Mm-hmm. Like, they'd just get him. That's what they do, you know? It doesn't seem like the CIA killed Pat Price because he was a Scientologist. However, that's another, that's an interesting little twist to the thing. That's It complicates is. things, I think. Yeah. You know? It's very interesting. Scientologist, weird. Yeah. If we haven't made that abundantly clear. <laughs> I'm just still surprised by it every time. Yeah. How fucking weird it is. Gets weirder and weirder. Yeah. And like it's there'd be, you know, what a legend that like nobody knows about. Yeah. Well, I mean, like people would for, you know, years later throughout this program, like other psychics would claim that like they saw visions of Pat Price and shit. Mm -hmm. Um, Ascended master Pat Price. I was just thinking those words. Yeah. 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 Like. Yeah. Put them on the list. Yeah. Yep. You get. Yep. Fuck yeah. Pat Price. Ascended master Pat Price. Yes. (laughs) I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's that sucks. And like in Third Eye Spies documentary, like these guys, this deeply affected them. Mm-hmm. Um, he was their boy. Yeah, like everyone loved Pat Price, and mm-hmm. he was not only just a sort of lovely human being, but fun and just a good dude. He fucking I didn't put this in, but he assisted with the Patty Hearst investigation and like located the car that kidnapped Patty Hearst. No shit. Yeah, like they were deeply involved in that, and. uh yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. We should cover that one day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's where we're going to leave it for today. All right. Wow. Yeah. That was, I learned a whole lot. Yeah. And we're, we've only just begun. <laughs> From here, it's going to get more spread out amongst a bunch of different people. We're going to spend a lot more time at the Monroe Institute. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. have been there before. We're going Been there back. before. And Bob Monroe plays a huge role in this. Mm-hmm. Our, um, that was our... What was the name of that? Gateway episode? experience. Gateway experience. Yeah. And like people have seen that and they're like, what could this possibly mean? It's this. This is what. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, it was a in the late 70s and 80s, like that was a big, they'd send a ton of these guys there to train. Like that was, Bob Monroe started just working with this program. And, yeah. Uh, that was fucking rad. What a cool cast of characters. Ingo Swan becomes a Jedi master. Yeah. You know, like, or he will in the next episode. Uh-huh. You know? Russell Targ. Just being Russell Targ. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking. Yeah, man. I just. It's Ingo just, being a gay cowboy. Yeah. Gay psychic cowboy. I love it. All right. So the tarot card. Yes. Four of discs. Power. Mm. Yes. Now, what do you think about that? Power. Power. I got the power. Well, I think that I'm looking over at the psychic circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this room that I've never used before. And I'm thinking, "Mm, psychic power. Yeah. You know, because I mean, yeah, unlocking hidden potential. The uh, Thoth deck, what that card looks like in the Thoth deck is like an overhead shot of a castle with a moat and like the four elements and the four watchtowers of the of the castle. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
it's power, but it's that it's the power of a king's castle. You know, the king sits inside his stone walls. He doesn't. It's the kind of power that can grow old and wither and die without actually projecting any of that power. Uh-huh. Right. There's no motion in the four of discs. But I definitely also think, like I think of this card in a few different ways. One, it's like the psychic power, right? The uh, the ability of a dude to go into a trance and lay motionless, like the the four of uh, pentacles in the Rider Waite Smith deck is. It's it's that like mausoleum scene, like mm-hmm. the the coffin sort of laying down the monument, and that's sort of like a dude in a trance, right? Just like laying still but projecting power outwards. I also think of like how the CIA wanted Pat Price for themselves. Mm-hmm. The CIA wanted to keep everything fucking contained, contained yeah. boxed up. No one else gets to know about all this. Moat around it. Yeah. CIA loves a good moat. Mm-hmm. It's, their, it's like their favorite thing. Things leak, though. Mm-hmm. No. And I th- also just like the idea of the mind locked up inside a skull. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's that's my interpretation of it. I think that's a pretty good interpretation. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like over the next couple episodes, we'll get more ideas, become more clear. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I th- I'm having so much fun with this, this topic because it's just, awesome. it's so fucking cool. And, and in the background, after we're done with this, I'm researching my Montauk <laughs> episode, I'm yes. looking into some Montauk boys and their stories. Oh, oh great. God. You're not going to be able to tell what's, what's real, what's not with us. No. Yeah. All right, folks. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Come back yes. next week. Please. If, if you like what we do, we would really appreciate a five-star rating on whatever place you listen to us on it really helps us like rise above the noise and like get noticed mm-hmm. or review like type Ref- out a little sentence you can just type in pee pee poo poo if you want yeah 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 that works too yeah reviews help a lot they do they do all right yeah we love you thank you very much you do peace out take care